Since the beginning of time, God has chosen to use people to build His kingdom. And despite countless obstacles and distractions, His kingdom continues to grow. This isn't due to any one person or group of people. The advancement of the kingdom of God requires the united effort of the church. Together, we must spread the truth and love of Christ in our neighborhoods and community. Together, we must break down every barrier we encounter until we make disciples among every people group on earth. If we truly want to reach the lost, we can't expect them to come to us. Now more than ever before, we are moving out. I told you last week that we'd look at a specific story that Jesus told. This is one of those, uh, if you would, land of make-believe stories, the parables that Jesus made up to teach us things. I hope this will give you some fresh insight into it this morning and also hopefully some ammunition, some fuel to actually get us to look at life in a different way. Luke 10, 25, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? You guys ready to dip your toes in some deep theology again? This actually isn't all that deep, but it might help you understand the Pharisees and Sadducees a little better, and then all of their interactions with Jesus. See, in between Malachi and Matthew, the last book of the Old Testament and the first book of the New One, there were 500 years of silence from God. There were no new prophets. There were no new scriptures being written. They were waiting on a Messiah, but the Messiah didn't seem to be coming, and there was nothing else. So you might not blame them too much for kind of going the two directions that humanity normally tends to go. The Pharisees became what we would normally call in this era conservatives. They decided to be all about the rules. They were all about their traditions. They wanted to make sure things stayed the same, that they could stay ceremonially pure. They weren't really hearing anything from God at the time. By the way, I'm not judging anybody in any of this, okay? I'm just saying, let's get our brains around how this works. We all kind of fit in all of these categories at different times, okay? But they were all about, they weren't really hearing anything from God, so they were obsessed with making sure they were getting the rules right, that they understood all the laws right, that they were experts in how it all worked, and they did everything exactly right. Don't forget, these guys were the ones who ended up killing Jesus, by the way. They weren't exactly right, but they knew part of the thing. They got a lot of it right. God did care about those rules. God did want them to stay ceremonial clean. God did want those things to happen. The Sadducees were kind of the liberals of their day. They were more political. They allied themselves with the Herodians and several other groups. They, they kind of said, there's not even an afterlife, I don't think. I, I know you guys squint really hard and you see that in the Old Testament. We don't even see that. Here's what's important. God just wants us to be good people. God just wants us to be kind to people. He wants us to take care of the poor and to feed the hungry. He wants us to take care of this world that we live in. That's all he really cares about. And they were partly right. They really were. God cares about those things. But then this guy named Jesus showed up and a bunch of people started following him and these guys didn't like him. None of them did. The conservatives, the liberals, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Nobody liked Jesus except all the thousands and thousands of people that were following him. Because Jesus just broke all the rules. He came in and he said, I'll tell you how to get to God. Me. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You're waiting for a Messiah? I'm the Messiah. 
Jesus just took everything. He, took, he just broke all their rules. Years later, his little brother James wrote this. And again, you'll see they were half right. They were in there. Nobody was 100% wrong in this equation, but only Jesus was 100% right. James wrote, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress. There's the being a good person, taking care of people in the world, taking care of the poor, making social justice happen. Very important to God. This is genuine religion in the sight of God the Father. Also, refusing to let the world corrupt you. There's the purity. There's the holiness. There's the, A, those rules actually matter. Sin is sin. Righteousness is righteousness. God actually cares about that. But James is reframing this conversation in the context of Jesus, where we know the whole picture. We know we can't get either one right without Jesus. But with Jesus, we've got the whole picture. Pure, religion and, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. One of my favorite authors is a guy named Gabe Lyons. I've quoted him several times. Him and another guy named David Kenneman teamed up on several books back in the day and also that really have helped me, helped our youth group, helped our church in several ways, whether you understand it or know that or not. And, but they had a, a book called You Lost Me, a book called Unchristian, and he's got a new one called The Next Christians. This is one I've been meaning to buy. And somebody out there, by the way, thank you. Somebody left it on my desk. Appreciate it. I'm quoting from that book today. I also really appreciate all the kind words and even some gifts that people gave us last week. You guys are doing a very good job of building each other up and encouraging each other. Some things that we've been walking through several times. Thank you so much. But Gabe Lyons says that today there are three kinds of Christians. Um, one is, uh, well, I'm going to come back to that one in just a second. That's the very next one. I'm sorry. I said, um, that's not his fault. That's, that's mine. But he said there's three different kinds of Christians. One is the separatists. One are the cultural Christians. And then there are the restorers. And once again, we see these patterns. These are, this is, human beings haven't changed that much since the fall. We're still made in the image of God and still broken. We're still got all this potential and all this brokenness and all this potential to be healed and remade in the image of God all along. But nowadays we have some people that still want to be what Gabe Lyons calls separatists. These are people there, and I'm not against all these things, I'm just saying. Their kids go to Christian schools or homeschool. They don't wear shirts that say Coca-Cola, they wear shirts that say Christ Jesus in Coca-Cola font. Are you with me? They listen to Christian music. Like they're, they're, everything about their life is separate from the world. They only hang out with Christians. There's nothing innately wrong with all those things. Those are good things. But if that's the whole picture, they're not reaching out. They're not reaching anybody else. Then there are the cultural Christians. And they're like, hey, if all we're about is kind of making our little club here and building our own little silos and forts, we're never going to reach anybody. We got to get out there. And if that takes compromise, if that takes kind of not really talking about some of the things God doesn't like so much, maybe we need to lean there a little harder. It's okay. We could compromise. I think it's worth it. Partly, partly right, but obviously not completely right. But then there's this third group called the Restorers. We're going to talk about them in a second. But first, here's this quote about the Pharisees and how Jesus turns this around. He says, The Pharisaic view had been, Make yourself clean, and then you can eat with me. 
Make yourself clean. Then you can eat with me. But Jesus modeled something altogether different. Eat with me, and I will make you clean. You see the difference? The purity is there, but we find it in Jesus. We find it in all of us being on a journey together, trying to be more like Him. That's how Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets, the entire Old Testament. That's how Jesus says, yes, all of that matters, but I am the way and the truth and the life. You get there through me. This is how he healed people. There were people that were coming up to Jesus all the time that had terrible diseases like leprosy. And the only way people could treat it back then was just kind of excommunicate them, make them all stay far, far away. Jesus said, go right up there and touch them. Heal them on the spot. And then he wouldn't even go wash his hands. That kind of creeps me out. But this is how Jesus was. He knew that the power to cleanse people came from him. Not just from their ability to follow the rules or their ability to reach out unafraid of disease and be kind to sick people. He knew that it came from him. It came from God. It came from a love. It came from a, a, a whole much... So much more than we were seeing on the outside. And this is how it still is. God makes us holy. He sets his people apart. That's what holiness means. But holiness primarily means being set apart for a specific purpose. Some of you might not have this anymore, but when I was growing up, everybody had dishes you use all the time, and the dishes you only use on special occasions. Anybody still do that? For us nowadays, the dishes we use all the time are like paper plates or something. But you, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, there's certain things that are, you, you only drive this car on Sundays. You, you know what I mean? Like the, the people do different things like that. We are set apart not just to be apart, but to do specific things. The point is not the apartness as much as it is the special things we are set apart to do. We are here to create and to restore justice in the world. Not to create spiritual bunkers and hide in them. And when we embrace this vision, when we get this, when we understand this, then we become what Gabe Lyons calls the restorers. Restorers, he says, envision the world as it was meant to be. And they work toward that vision. Huh. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. We're going to come back to this. Restorers envision the world as it was meant to be and they work toward that vision. They don't separate from the world or blend in. Rather, they thoughtfully engage. They're intentional. They connect on purpose all day long every day. They, restorers understand that every single day they are on mission. The purpose of them getting up every morning is to make more disciples for Jesus. That they have been set apart. That Jesus did not just die and come to life again for them so that they could just not go to hell when they die, but so that they could build his kingdom on earth. That they could be part of the answer to the prayer. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Every day, that's what we're here for. Restorers understand that and they live that way. So now let's try and get practical. What does God have in mind for Morrison Hill Christian Church right now? What does God have in mind for his global church right now? And by right now, I mean today. I mean at the end of 2020, which has been crazy. It's not over yet. As we look forward in the future, whatever the future is going to be, what is God 
calling us to do? How is he asking us to look at things differently? What is he wanting us to embrace? What is he wanting us to back off from? There's some more clues in this story that Jesus told. Let's look at the rest of it. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? See what he did there? He's asking him to start where he was and move out. He's an expert in the law. So he says, nobody gets that but me. Okay, here we go. The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. He understands. He gets it. Good job. But the man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. You've heard this story. Jesus said there was a certain man, a Jewish man, going from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And on his way, he's attacked by robbers. And they beat him so bad, they took literally everything, even his clothes. And they left him bleeding and dying beside the road. And then three people came. I've heard this story so many times. I've heard it played several times. And I think probably everybody has told this story in their application. They're probably right. But this is the one I hope you hear today. These three people represent three distinct ways of looking at life. Three specific mindsets. The first guy comes and he's a priest. The priests, like the Pharisees, like a lot of people today, they were the conservatives, ultra-conservatives. They had to be because they, to be ceremonially clean, you had to jump through a whole bunch of hoops. And if you weren't, you couldn't even go near the temple, let alone do your duties. So they had to be careful. And a lot of their rules had to do with you can't touch anything dead or blood or sores or sickness or anything like that. So probably the priest guy, if, he, if the, this is a story Jesus made up to make a point, but if he were a real priest and he told the story when he got to the temple, they would have said, good job, man. Way to go. Boy, you dodged that bullet. You would have been ceremonially unclean for quite some time. The Levites were similar, but they were more like the Sadducees, more, more liberal a little bit. They, not necessarily, but here, here's, just work with me on this. They didn't have to be quite as strict as the priests did. And they were all about getting all the behind-the-scenes stuff done in the temple. They were the ones that were rounding up the animals and cleaning up the meat and cleaning off the altar. They were taking care of business all the time. They were always doing that. But they also had to stay clean. So probably the guy, the second guy, the Levite, he probably got to the temple and they also said, good job. Man, way to stay on task, dude. We would have been so stuck here today. We would have had to clean, all the priests would have had to clean up all the sacrifices themselves if you weren't here. And you couldn't have been here. You would have been on quarantine. Good job. Way to stay. Way to stay clean, buddy. But that's not the end of the story. Jesus said, then there's another guy. This guy's a Samaritan. And if you've ever heard the story, I'm sure you've heard people tell you, and that nobody liked the Samaritan. Some translations even put a despised Samaritan at this spot. But he comes by, this foreigner, and he doesn't see a foreigner. He doesn't see a Jewish man. He sees a person in pain. And he does something about it. 
He says, you know what? I've got a donkey. I'm going to put the guy on the donkey. I've got some oil. I've got some wine. I've got some salve. I've got some stuff here. I'm going to make him feel a little better. I've got some money. He doesn't have anything. I'm going to put some clothes on him. I'll make all of us a little bit more comfortable at this point. I'm going to take him to a hotel. I'm going to get him somewhere to stay. I'm going to take care of him. I'm going to pay for them in advance so that he has somewhere to stay. Because I do have other things to do. But first, right this minute, this guy needs taken care of. And I don't see anybody else around here except me. So I guess I've got to take care of him. Because he's a restorer. Do you see this? He's somebody who sees the world the way it ought to be, and he's willing to put himself into that equation and make it that way. He's somebody who understands this is how life should look. This is the way it should be. This is the way God would like us to treat each other every single day. Well, here I am right now. Let's make it happen. There's a whole bunch of scriptures in your uh, bulletin insert, or if you're watching this digitally, it's, it's already been sent out there. We don't, I wish I had time to walk you through. This is my really lame John Pryor summary of all of them. It says, God expects us to do stuff in our community. I'll say it one more time because that was so profound and good. <laughs> God expects us to do stuff in our community. But it's all throughout the scriptures. You look at any of that long list I just put in there, it's there. That's what he did. He wants us to do stuff. His dream is not just that we do stuff at the temple or at the church. His dream is that we move out, that we take the good news out. We start where we are, we move out. But again, what is it that God really wants? What is it that he has in mind? Brothers and sisters, this is what I believe. I believe what he has in mind is, is something that we've already been doing some. We've been doing a lot, actually. But it's not one thing. It's not even a list of things. It's a mindset that he wants us to switch. It's a perspective. It's what's called a paradigm shift. That's what he wants. He wants us to stop being about how can we keep our church alive in the age of whatever the age is? How do we reach the people we haven't reached yet? How do I make sure my needs get met, needs to be replaced by who needs something today and how can I meet those needs? What are my feelings? What are my desires? What do I like needs to be replaced by what are the gifts God's given me? What are the callings he's put on life? What are the things that break my heart? What are the things that get me excited? What are the resources and the relationships that I have? Maybe God wants me to use those. We don't wake up every morning and go, man, I, I, man I, I've got to walk through this one more day. I mean, maybe you do. Life gets hard. Honestly, sometimes, especially this year, that's how I've started my day. But we don't get up and just go, well, I've just got to get through it so I can get home at tonight and watch something on TV. He said, no, this is a day that's worth living because there's people out there that need Jesus. There's people out there that have physical needs that I could probably met. There are people out there that have emotional and social needs. There is a world out there that is not as just and as kind and as good and as fair and as Christ-like as it needs to be. And that, if I'm still alive today, that's why I'm here. It's a different mindset. What he has in mind is a mindset where that is what we're all about. 
Every single day is the Great Commission. Every single day. Walk you through how that looks really quick. We're going to start wrapping up here, so please pay attention. I don't want you to miss this. This is going to go quick, but it's all written down later. You can read the scriptures later, but here we go. In the Great Commission, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> wow. <clears throat> Try that one more time. Maybe we can edit that out later. Here we go. In the Great Commission, it starts out, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's one thing to say, hey, I believe that. That's great. It's another thing that your entire mindset, the way you look at life is, well, what does Jesus say about it? What is Jesus' purpose in this? If Jesus were an American, how would he vote? If Jesus were an American, would he vote? You know what I'm saying? We're looking at Jesus. We're not trying to put him in a box. We're saying Jesus is the ultimate authority. I'm going to measure everything against that. What do I want to do today? What are other people asking me to do today? I don't know. What does Jesus want today? See that? It's a mind shift. It's a mindset. Therefore, Jesus says, as you go. Most translations just say go. I like Russ last week talked about the Greek thing. We're going there again. Okay? If you translate it literally out of the Greek, it would say, therefore, as you go. And in one sense, that translation, what it's saying is, as you're going. In other words, every single day, as you live your life, wherever you are, what you're doing, you need to be making disciples. And that's exactly what it means. But it also, there's another layer of this in the original Greek. English is a much simpler language. That's why we keep going back to that. That's why, why that happens. But it also, it's the strongest imperative there is. We don't have a choice. It's followed, it's following all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, as you go, since you are going to be going, since I told you to go, since you don't have any other choice in this, you are following me, I'm saying go. As you go, make disciples. We love them where they are. We meet them where they are. We're prepared. Some of them are going to say no. But every day we are trying to make disciples. We're trying to invite them to follow Jesus Christ with us. We baptize them into Jesus Christ. Again, not trying to wear the Greek thing out, but baptize means immerse. And it means literally immerse, as in dunk in water. It also means metaphorically immerse, completely submerge. When we lead someone to Jesus, we're not buying them fire insurance. We are asking them to completely submerge everything in Jesus. They are completely completely lost in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The old person dies. A new person has come to life with the Holy Spirit in there, in the mix with them. In Romans 6, Paul writes, Have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined Him in His death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious Father, by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Everything is different. Anything less is not actually following Jesus. That's why the very next thing, again, is teach them to obey everything that I've commanded. And how do you teach people? You set an example and you speak the truth in love. How many have heard this before? How many believe this? Awesome. 
But is that your mindset? You don't have to raise your hands. But by next week, I hope that every single person would. Are you hearing me? Is this your mindset? Is every single day you're trying by your example and or by your words, you are teaching people how to obey Jesus? This is what it looks like. That's why I'm alive today. I want to show you what it looks like to follow Jesus. That's my life. That's who I am. That's what Jesus has in mind. Ephesians 4.15, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Discipleship is a process. It doesn't just happen. We can't pretend that people are just going to magically show up and become Christians. We can't pretend that if we just go around our, our go, go our merry way and just do what we always do, that people are just going to randomly decide to follow Jesus and shake us and say, please tell me about Jesus. And we go, oh, okay. He's the son of God. And they go, whoo, baptize me. That's not going to happen. It takes effort. That's why the Sticky Faith group that meets on, uh, next Tuesday, you're invited if you're a parent and want to disciple your kids. That's why we focus on discipling our kids. They're not going to disciple themselves. And the world is very intentional about trying to disciple them to follow ways that do not harmonize with God. We've got to do it on purpose. That's why so many things that we do all the time is about trying to disciple each other and lead each other in the ways we need to go. In your bulletin this week, there's again another list. This one says Judea. These are things that we are doing to reach out into the community already. And I invite you to join us in that. I invite you to look at every single one and figure out. Many of you are already doing several of these. Thank you. Good job. But as a church, this needs to be our mindset. This needs to be what we do, how we do it, how we live. Is it, do you understand what I'm telling you? Is this making sense? It's got to happen. That's what Jesus has in mind. And let me tell you something. As we do this, we're going to experience the things that we long for. This is the only way to hit the targets that we try to hit by focusing on ourselves. See, when we focus on ourselves, we're like, hey, you know what? I just want to feel the presence of God. I just want Jesus to make me a new person. I want Jesus to help me with my pain and my issues and make me happier. You know how he does that? By getting you to look at other people. You know how he transforms you? By being part of the equation of helping somebody else transform. I started this, and I'm going to end this with a song about singing in a bar. I hope this is on. Some of you in this room were there the night, that I wrote, uh, the night that I wrote this song. I wrote it after I got home. But we went to perform. We were doing some outreach and we were trying to practice this. We were trying to go where people were and to love them where they were as they were, but hopefully bring them out of that. And I was so moved as I tried to connect with these people and I realized these are really cool people. Their lives are going nowhere, but man, they've got so much potential. I, I love these people. I love who they are. I wonder how I could possibly bring them back into my neighborhood. And I got to think, I wonder what they see in me. Because that's why I'm here. I wonder if it was clear. I wonder if they got it. It's called Monday Night. She laughed and smiled and talked real loud. 
first was a shot that was heard around the room. She said she liked the music. She said she hoped we'd come back soon. And we all could see her eyes were as empty as the glass where that shot used to be. Yeah, but I wonder. I wonder what she saw in me Cause sometimes I'm almost an example Sometimes Christ is visible in me Sometimes my ideas and my sin and my religion Can make the truth impossible to see He watched the game, he learned my name And he smiled with a smile that was warm and real sincere he said he liked the music He said you're always welcome here And if that's not how the Lord said to be Then I don't, I just don't know a thing Yeah, and I wonder I wonder what he saw in me Cause sometimes I'm a ball of fiery passion Sometimes I'm as lukewarm as his beer. Some days I would give my life to bring this world to Jesus. Sometimes I'm just living over here. life feels like a poor excuse for suffering when the voices in your head won't let you sleep I pray you look for truth beyond your questions and I pray you see some truth in me because Jesus lives in me Jesus lives in me but can you see the difference in my life Jesus lives in me, and his truth has set me free. But can you see the difference? Can you see the difference? Because I know sometimes I am almost an example. Sometimes Christ is visible in me. Sometimes my ideas and my sin and my religion can make the truth impossible to see. Yeah, and sometimes I'm a ball of fiery passion. And sometimes I'm as lukewarm as his beer. And sometimes I would give my life to bring this world to Jesus. Sometimes I'm just living over here. Jesus lives in me. Jesus lives in me. Can you see the difference? my life. So Jesus ended the Great Commission with this. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. He told us, if this is what we live our lives about, 
If this is the mindset, if this is what we do, if this is who we are, guess what? That's where he's going to be. Have you ever tried to meet somebody somewhere and they said, hey, I'll be at this gas station or I'll be at this restaurant at this time? Have you ever met? Okay, I know people are fallible and sometimes they, they're late or they got lost or you guys miscommunicate. But most of the time, if you want to meet up with them, you go where they say they're going to be, right? Jesus is perfect. He tells us exactly where he's going to be. He's going to be wherever you are right this minute. And then he's going to lead you out into the community to make a difference. You know where Jesus is for each one of you right now? Right here, right now. Right here, right now. Whatever choice he's putting on your heart, right here, right now. He's right here. But you want to, if you follow him today, tomorrow he's going to stretch you a little bit. Tomorrow he's going to ask you to reach out to somebody else. Tomorrow he's going to draw you into something else. And as you do that, you're going to start to be transformed. When you are doing this, that's when you're going to sense his presence in your life. When you are doing this, that is when you are going to be changed. That's where you're going to find your comfort. That's where you're going to find your peace. That's where you're going to find your fulfillment. When your mindset is, I am here to make disciples. I am here to bring justice and mercy onto this earth, to build the kingdom of God. That is why I am here. So this morning, once again, our our choice, our thing that we're going to stand and sing together is simply this. Lord, with your help, I will. And you fill in the blank. I don't know what he's calling you today. I know the direction it is. I know the mindset that it's going to come from. Whatever he's specifically telling you, do that right now. You just listened to part three of Moving Out, a five-part series on the Sunday Sermons podcast. Thank you for listening.